Hallelujah. Come on, everybody. Just lift your hands and worship Jesus tonight. Thank you, Father, for your anointing in this place tonight. Thank you for your presence. God, we just worship you tonight. We bless you. We give you all the praise, the glory. We give you honor. We magnify you and we adore you. We thank you, Lord God, for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy, your unfailing love, for you are unfailing in your love. We thank you for being an awesome God. We thank you for keeping us all day today. We thank you for covering us, shielding us, protecting us from the hand of the enemy. Father, we thank you for doing only what you can do in our lives, for bringing us to a place of maturity, bringing us to a place of rest in you. And Father, for it, we just thank you and we bless you tonight. We give you praise and glory. We give you honor. Now, Father, we just pray that you, your word will have free course tonight. Let your word be planted deep inside the hearts of everyone that's sitting underneath the sound of my voice tonight. I pray, Father, that you put your words in my mouth, that you lose your anointing, that you lose your glory tonight. And Father, for it, we thank you and we bless you. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. Now, come on, let's just give Jesus a praise. Amen, 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 amen. Amen, amen, amen. Have your seats. We're going to get right into the word of God tonight. We got a lot to cover in a little bit of time, so we're going to get right on, right down to business. Amen, amen. You guys doing good? All right. Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 9. And we're going to pick up where we left off last week. We were talking about King Saul. And um, again, we're just picking up on spirits that begin to operate through individuals so we can begin to recognize them and make sure that they don't find any root in us. So uh, we started on King Saul. I think the week before last, and we're going to finish up with him tonight, and we're going to do an introduction uh, to King David as the, you know, as the kingship begins to transfer spiritually. So in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, and he amplified, it says, there was a man of the tribe of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bacharath, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of influence and wealth. And it says, Kish had a son named Saul, who was a choice and handsome man. Among the sons of Israel, there was not a man more handsome than he was. From his shoulders and up, he was a head taller than any of the people. And it says, now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, had wandered off and were lost. And Kish said to Saul, please take one of the servants with you and arise and go to look for the donkeys. And they passed through the hill country of Ephraim and the land of Shalisha, but did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalem, but they were not there, and the land of the Benjamites, but they still did not find them. And the Bible says, and when they came to the land of Zuth, Saul said to his servant who was with him, come, let us return, otherwise my father will stop worrying about the donkeys and become anxious about us. So in those um, first few verses, we learn a little bit about, you know, the type of person that Saul was. And uh, first of all, you know, the Bible says that he was a choice young man, meaning that he was a very 
good quality. You know, he was very morally good as a person. Um, the Bible also mentions that he was tall and that he was handsome. He was also from a prestigious and wealthy family. So bottom line is he had a whole lot going for him in the natural. He was also obedient to his father. His father told him to go look for the donkeys. He goes to look for them. He was also worried about how his father may feel about him being missing. So he was thoughtful. He was mindful. He was conscientious about the feelings of his, his father. And he started out very humble as well. You know, we, picked, we talked about it a little bit uh, the week before last, how when he was first selected uh, by Samuel, as the next king of Israel, he was very humbled by it. He was, he was not looking forward to this task at all. And he said, you know, who am I? You know, and who is my family that you would make somebody like me king? And then they put, then when he was with the, uh, when, they, when they came to anoint him, he, he hid among the stuff, you know, so they didn't, they couldn't find him, you know. So he was humble, you know. He started off very good, you know, and he was a very good young man. And, um, but I mentioned this the week before last that, you know, what happens a lot of times when people are morally good, you know, they, they feel ultimately that they don't need God because they're good enough on their own, you know. And you'll see, you'll meet people like that, you know. They don't do certain things that you would consider to be sinful, you know. They say, you know, well, I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't hang around people that do, you know, stuff like that, you know. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're good people, you know, so... Ultimately, oftentimes, you know, when you talk to them about Jesus, well, you know, I'm good, you know, I think I'll make it into heaven, you know. They think they're going to make it in on their own merits. But at the end of the day, you cannot get into heaven on your own merits. And we're all sinners in need of a Savior, you know. So, we, so bottom line is he started off good. He had everything going for him. He was tall, handsome, you know. He, had, he was from a wealthy family, you know. He had a lot of stuff going for him in the natural. And he was a good guy. But we start seeing the character of Saul. We start talking about that last week, you know, because people can be outwardly good, but oftentimes, you know, you'll find out if you really dig on the inside, you'll start finding out what their real character is without the Lord Jesus attached to them. Yeah. So um, bottom line is when we left off last week, we saw that Saul was commanded by God to destroy the Amalekites. And we talked about why that was very significant. Because the Amalekites, um, they, they attacked Israel when they came out of Egypt. And it was unprovoked, completely unprovoked. And God made a promise that he would, he would take them out because of this. And he was going to use Saul as his weapon of warfare to take him out. But he decides to do his own thing, you know. And, but God's command was very clear. He wanted all men, women, children, even the animals destroyed everything. But Saul, motivated by the people decided to do his own thing. He killed everyone but Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and he killed all of the li livestock with the exception of the best and the most desirable. And as a result, God rebukes him through the prophet Samuel, and this is where we're going to pick up, all right, for this week. So in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 and 23, it says, And Samuel said, Half the Lord as great delight in birth offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. So, you know, because Saul started to say, well, you know, we only saved the best of the stuff because we wanted to sacrifice it to God. 
But he says, Samuel says, half the Lord is great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the Lord, the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. And then he says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. And what we didn't read before that was the prophet Samuel says to him, when you were small in your own eyes, you know, didn't I elevate you to being king? So we see that Saul somehow got proud. You know, he started off very humble. But we read even before that, that once he defeats the Amalekites, he builds a statue. He erects a statue to commemorate his victory. You know, he begins to, he begins to get proud. So God says to him, obedience is better than sacrifice. So ultimately what God is looking for from you and I is your obedience. Very simply. He just simply wants you to do what he tells you to do when he tells you to do it. Don't do your own thing. Just do what he tells you to do. And um, I put here, most people don't experience God's best for them because they refuse to do what God tells them to do. They want to do what they want to do. In other words, most people just want to do their own thing and they still want God to bless them anyway. But nothing else is more valuable to God than your simple obedience, just obeying him when he speaks to you. So we went over that last week. Then the second thing he said to him was rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So just as a definition, rebellion is open resistance to an established authority. It is willful disobedience. So God tells Saul to kill everything, but he decides to do his own thing, you know, kill what he thought would, would be best. And when he disobeyed God, he rebelled against the authority of God in his life. When he did that, he automatically submitted himself to the devil. And that's why rebellion is compared to practicing witchcraft. Because the Bible says, you know, to whom, you know, you, to whom, uh, in uh, Romans 6, 16, it says, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. So whoever you decide to listen to, that's who you serve. So if you, if you decide that you're not going to listen to God, you have automatically listened to the devil. And that's why, he, see, see, most people don't understand this, but you can't walk in the middle. You're not really doing your own thing. <laughs> you may think you're doing your own thing, but ultimately, if you're not doing God's thing, you're doing the devil's thing. You're not really doing your own thing. Because you can only be on either one, on one of the sides of these things. You can't be in the middle. There's, you're, you got to choose a side. And so that's why rebellion was compared to practicing witchcraft. God is an authority over our lives. And when we rebel against his authority, you become a practicer of witchcraft. Because you submit yourself to the authority of the devil. And uh, again, the reason why is because when you're not serving God, you're automatically by default serving the enemy. So that's why he said rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And then thirdly, he says to him, stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Now, stubbornness is defined as, defined as having or showing a dog determination, not to change one attitude or position on something in spite of good arguments or reasons to do so. So when a person is stubborn, they won't allow themselves to be reasoned with. I don't care what you say to them. They believe they're right. 
and they're the only one that's right. And a stubbornness is like idolatry because of the fact that it is actually the worship of your own opinion. You become a God to yourself. And you say, you know, I'm right. Nobody else is. So you begin to worship your own opinion. That's why it's like idolatry. So uh, that's what we covered last week. And finally, we just mentioned that um, Saul actually says after all of that, after Samuel rebukes him in verse 24 of chapter 15 of uh, 1 Samuel, it says, And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people, and I obeyed their voice. So you see, Saul was more concerned about what the people thought than what God was saying to him. Saul's biggest issue was that he wanted to, the people to continue to follow him. So he did the best he could do to please them so that they would continue to follow him. Now, ultimately, that's what caused Saul's downfall. He was, at his root, he was a people pleaser. And in chapter 13, we get a glimpse of this when we see that Saul sacrificed before Samuel came because the people were scattered from him. So as the people began to scatter from him, he decided... I'm going to sacrifice his offering, even when he knew he wasn't supposed to do that. That was Samuel's responsibility. But he wanted the people to be gathered to him. So in the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, that the fear of man brings a snare. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. So never be more concerned about what the people think rather than what God is saying to you. Right? So in the end, we see the true character of Saul. He was disobedient, he was rebellious, stubborn, and he was a people pleaser. That's who he really was, right? We see all of these nice qualities. He was tall, good looking, and stuff like that. Came from a wealthy family, you know. He loved his father and stuff like that. He had all of this stuff going on on the outside, right? And when they saw him, he looked like a king. But on the inside, he had some stuff going on that wasn't right. Again, he was disobedient to the known will of God. And we're not talking about, you know, we're talking about a direct commandment. So he was disobedient to the known will of God. He was rebellious. He was stubborn and he was a people pleaser. And ultimately these qualities led to Saul's downfall. And I put here, if you set out to please people, you'll never be able to please God. Because God will ask you to do things that will oftentimes displease some people. And if you're more concerned with them than you're concerned with him, you're going to find yourself in Saul's position. You're going to be brought down. All right, so now we're going to enter into this week's message and get into now the transfer, the spiritual transfer of the kingdom. Because everything happens, I want you to understand this when you read these scriptures, is that everything happens in the spirit first before it ever takes place in the natural. And that's why you can't, you can't rush the things of God because God calls things which be not as though they were already. So he speaks with as much, he speaks of the future with as much certainty as he does uh, uh, as if it had already come to pass. That's, a, that's how certain he is about what he says. So we're going to see the spiritual transfer, but not the natural, but the spiritual transfer of the kingdom. So right now, Saul's the king. And we pick up in First Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. And it says there, and the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? 
fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. Now, this is, this is really a side note, but I'm going to say this. Don't waste your time mourning over something that God has removed from your life. At this point, God has completely rejected Saul from being the king of Israel. He has other plans on his mind. He's found someone better, but Samuel is still thinking and mourning about Saul. And that's what most of us do when we lose something or we lose someone. We sit around and we mourn over them. What we have to remember is that God will never remove something or someone from your life and not replace it with something or someone better. So don't waste your time crying over something or someone that has been removed from your life. Get up, dust yourself off, get the mind of God, and go get the thing that God really has for you, which, of course, will be far better. So he says, how long are you going to mourn over Saul, seeing that I have rejected him? You know, time to move forward. You know, stop, stop sticking yourself in the mud, and it's time to move forward. Time to, time to make progress and go on to the next thing that I have for you instead of mourning over something that I've already said I'm done with. So he's saying to him, I don't want you to look at the outward appearance of this man. I've rejected him. And see, this is what this message has been all about since I began, right? Not judging by what you see, not judging by what you hear, but looking deeper, right? And this is where ultimately that comes from. God says, I don't, I don't see how man sees because men, men are looking at the outward appearance. We want, we, we don't receive things until we, we, when we look at it and we like what we see. That's when we will receive it. And that's why people had a problem with Jesus. Because he didn't look like what they expected him to look like. He was a carpenter. That's why they said, you know, isn't he the carpenter's son? You know, he was, no, he was not anybody that they expected to be the Messiah. You know, they're expecting a, a king to ride in, you know. Because so, he's from, he's from uh, the tribe of Judah, from the legacy of King David. We're looking for somebody that's real kingly looking. And here he is, this is a lowly carpenter making tables. He can't be the Messiah. We know his brothers and his sisters. We know his mother, you know, stuff like that. We know all, we know all of them. How's he going to try to school us on the scriptures, you know, like? But, but see, men look at the outer appearance. So he says, um... The Lord says to Samuel, look not on his countenance. Don't look at how handsome he is. Don't look on the height of his stature. Don't, 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 be, don't, don't get fooled by your eyes. Look deeper than that. You know? And we need, when we deal with people and when we deal with situations, we need to look beyond what we see and go beyond what we're hearing. So he says, um, then Jesse called Abinadab. And made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this. And it says, and then Jesse made Shammah to pass by. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. So one by one, he's passing his sons over. And, and now Samuel's ear is open. And he's looking at him. He's like, God's rejected him. Next. <laughs> And it says, and again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord hath not chosen these. 
None of them. And um, I put here, you know, this is, again, one of the most important scriptures to me in the Bible. The Lord says that he doesn't see like man sees. Again, we look at how handsome or beautiful someone is. We look at their height or how they dress. But the Lord is looking much deeper. He's looking at their heart. And that's why it's important to be in prayer when you're making decisions, whether it's about a person or a situation. Because you're looking at their physical appearance or how profitable the deal might be. But God sees right through the person and he sees right through the situation. And he's seeing what's on the inside. He's looking always at the heart of the matter. Right. And we have to look at the heart of the matter. Now, concerning Jesus, the New Testament version of this is the Bible says in Isaiah chapter. I mean, excuse me, um, the Old Testament version prophesying about Jesus. And in Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 4, it says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. Right? Talking, of course, about Jesus. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Bible says, And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. See, first it begins to talk about the full manifestation of the spirit being alive and active through the Lord Jesus. So, bottom line is he's relying on the spirit he's relying on the holy spirit when he begins to deal with matters because he has the full manifestation right the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the lord and he shall make quick understanding in the fear of the lord and as a and as a result of this anointing that's on him through the spirit of the lord he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes neither reprove after the hearing of the ears but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. So he's looking, he's not judging by what he sees or what he hears. He's judging by what the spirit is telling him. When he begins to deal with people, he's, he's looking deeper into the matter. He's relying on the Holy Spirit to give him the picture of the individual or the picture of the situation. And that's why the Bible says, you know, concerning him that when they were about to, when they, the Bible says many believed on him, right? Because of the works he was doing and they were going to take him and try to make him king. But the Bible says that he didn't commit himself to any man because he knew what was in man. See, he already understood that right now they're saying Hosanna. But by the end of the week, they'll be saying crucify him. (laughs) So he's looking deeper, right? And that's what we have to learn to do, to look deeper into the matter. Now, again, I mentioned my whole intent for ministering on this topic was to get this message over to you. I wanted to teach you how to look and listen with your spirit and not just your eyes and your ears. I want to teach you to sharpen your spiritual discernment and stop relying on your physical senses to make decisions about people and situations. Right. We got to look deep. We got to begin to pray. Okay, is this a right person to be in my life? Right. We would have a lot less heartbreak in the church. If we begin to pray on people, you know, instead of just looking at what we see. We would get involved in a lot less poor, you know, make a lot less poor decisions or poor deals or, you know, whatever. If we began to pray and get the mind of God instead of just saying, oh, that looks like a great deal. I'm going to do it. Or that looks like something good to do. I'm going to do it. Or that looks like a beautiful person. I'm going to, you know, tell them my business. Right? It just can't look like somebody you can trust. 
You know what I'm saying? You gotta, you have to prove people, and you have to be prayerful and mindful, and then you won't get your heart broke like that. Because God will make sure that He gets over to you whether or not you can trust people. So now, He makes all of these guys pass before Him, and, and as Samuel says, God's rejected these guys. Then in verse 11 there, and Samuel said to Jesse, are here all your children? And he said, there remaineth the youngest. And behold, he keeps the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. <clears throat> and the Bible says, now he was ready. And with all of a beautiful countenance. So David was handsome as well. It wasn't that David wasn't, wasn't good looking. God was just saying, don't judge after that. So you can be good looking, you know, like me, you know, and still be anointed. <laughs> but you don't want to determine whether or not somebody's anointed based upon their good looks or whatever. You know, you don't want to make sure, oh, that must be them because they're good looking. You know, so David was no ugly guy. He was good looking as well. You know. <laughs> And the Bible says, see, he was goodly, he had a beautiful countenance, and he was goodly to look to. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. See, he not only had good looks, he had an anointing. He had something on the inside of him that when God saw it, he said, that's, that's him. See, I'm looking at the heart. Now, I'm checking, I'm looking at, I'm not paying attention to how good looking he is. I'm looking at his heart. And I see something that I like there. Anoint him. This is the one. So I put here, see, the amazing thing, though, is that while Jesse is parading his sons in front of the man of God, David's not even a thought. <laughs> He's not even a consideration. He's watching his sheep while his brothers are being considered to be the next king. He's out in the back somewhere doing his thing. And um, I put here, you know, it's commonly believed that David was an, was an illegitimate child, you know, like that he was... Uh, like his father had a, you know, uh, an affair with someone. And, you know, scriptures kind of bear that a little bit. You know, David says, you know, he was, he was formed in sin, you know. And oftentimes scholars believe that as, you know, the, the result of the, when you're, you're born into sin, spiritually speaking. But a lot of scholars also believe that he was just an illegitimate child. And that's why they said that. And that's also why it's believed that he was not even considered as being, you know, considered to be a king, you know, because of the way that he was, he was born. You know. But um, that's why he was considered an outcast in his family. But although his father didn't consider him, God knew exactly where he was and I put here so you don't have to worry about whether or not people notice you because God notices you and when it's time for you to get promoted God knows exactly where you are and no one can stop it or nobody can stop you when it's your time just remain faithful because your time is coming see he's back there you know most of the psalms that we read, we read, more than likely they were written while he was back there keeping some sheep. The only person he had was God as the outcast in his family. The only person he had was God. 
So he's, he's worshiping. He's praising. You know, he's giving God glory while he's watching these few sheep. And he's learning how to become a mighty man of valor while all of this is happening. You know, this was like his beginning in his training ground. But God is watching him all along. You know, he's watching his heart. He's watching who he is. And then when it says time, though, he says, that's him. Anoint him. So don't worry about, you know, where you are in life right now. You know, no matter where you're at. You don't have to show off. You don't have to kiss nobody's butt. All you have to do is please God. And then when it's your time, he'll begin to elevate you. Now, in Psalm 75, verses 5 through 7, it says, Lift not up your horn on, your horn on high. And horn in the Bible, it, in this, when it speaks like this, it's speaking specifically of your own physical strength. So it says, don't lift up your horn on high. In other words, don't, don't, don't get proud of your own personal strength. Speak not with a stiff neck. For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He putteth down one, and he setteth up another. So ultimately, God is the one that's making the decisions on promotions in your life. You don't have to worry about, you know, oh, well, you know, I'm going to have to kiss the boss's butt, so-and-so, you know, in order for them to me to get promoted. You don't have to do that. You know, God sees you. He knows where you are. And when it's your time, he'll raise you up. So let's just move on. I wanna, I'm going to uh, get ready to close in a minute, but I'm going to talk about the spiritual transfer of the kingdom, and then we'll close. So in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 13 to 14, he says, God says, Arise, anoint him, for it is he. And it says in verse 13, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, right in front of his brothers. And the Bible says, and the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that very day forward. This right here is the spiritual transfer of the kingdom. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. So the spirit of the Lord is sitting on Saul because he's the king, you know, and as a king, he was, he was anointed. God anointed him for the purpose of being king. So there was three real, uh, th there were three people that were primarily that were anointed in the Old Testament. Now we all have access to the anointing of God or the power of the Holy Spirit. But three primary people were anointed in the Old Testament. You had the priest, right? Who, were, who was God's minister. He was, he was the minister to God for the people. Right? So he offered up gifts and sacrifices on behalf of the people to appease God for the sins of, of Israel. So you had the priest, you had the prophet, who was God's mouthpiece to the people. Right? So God communicated to, to the prophet and he communicated it to the people. Right? So he had an anointing on him for that purpose. And then you have the king who was anointed. And he was anointed to be the physical represent, representation of God as the ruler over the people. So now Saul has this anointing on him to be the king. But the moment that Samuel anoints David as the king, the spirit of God comes off Sam, Saul and he comes on David. Because as far as God is concerned, Saul is no longer the king. Now it is years before David is anointed king in the natural. 
But as of this moment, God is recognizing David as the king of Israel. See, and that's why you have to understand, you know, just because something has not happened in your life doesn't mean that it has not happened according to God. Because God has already said so. It's already done. We're just waiting for it to manifest, manifest in the natural. So right, right now, right now, we see that, that, that God has anointed David. Right? The spirit of the Lord is upon him. That is proof positive that God has anointed him. And now the spirit of the Lord departs from Saul, and then he gets a tormenting spirit that comes upon him. <laughs> and um, the other thing I'll bring up here is that a couple of things you want to notice about the scripture is first that Samuel anoints David with a horn of oil. Now, I mentioned this when we first started talking about Saul. If you remember when we were studying Saul, Samuel anointed Saul with a vial of oil. But he anoints David with a horn of oil. Now, a vial is a man-made container. And it was symbolic of the fact that Saul was the choice of man and not God's personal choice. Now, David, on the other hand, was anointed with a horn of oil. Now, a horn is not a man-made vessel. It was from the horn of an animal which God created. And the horn of a Bible, it speaks of, it's symbolic of strength, or the, the, in this case, the strength of God. Now, the second thing that we see here, again, is that David is, is anointed king at this point, but it is about 17 years before he actually sits on the throne. <laughs> but God at this point considers David the king of Israel, and it's proven by the fact that he removes the Holy Spirit from Saul, and it causes it to rest on David. And this is the spiritual transfer of the kingdom. But now David has to go through a process so that he can be prepared and the natural to be king. See, right now he's spiritually king. See, some of you right now are spiritually millionaires, are spiritually business owners, are, you know, spiritually you're successful, right? But in the natural, you have to go through a process. To get there God has already called you that but now you have to go through a process to get there in the natural because God always prepares you because he wants you to be successful at it see one thing that we'll see the difference the great difference between the uh, Saul and David is that Saul was never processed one day he's an ordinary guy the next day he's king he knows nothing about the kingdom. He knows nothing about ruling. He knows nothing about any of this stuff. He just, next thing you know, he's the king. But God takes David through this process. He anoints him right here. But then about 17 years, he goes through a process of learning how to operate as a king. So um, in verse 16, we see that God begins to start processing them. Now it's 858. I got a couple of minutes and then I'm going to close. Now in, verse, in 1 Samuel 16, verse 16 through 21, it says there, now I mentioned this, that Saul has this tormenting spirit on him. And as he's being tormented, Saul's people come to him. And we pick up on this in verse 16. And it says, let our Lord now command your servants 
which are before you to seek out a man who is a cunning player on the harp. And it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is on you that he shall play with his hands and you shall be well. Now I want you to understand this. God is beginning, God is creating a circumstance to bring David into the kingdom so that he can start learning. So this evil spirit is upon Saul and his men say, you know, why don't we find somebody that can, that can play? Somebody that's anointed that can play. So when they play, this, this devil can get off your back, you know? And um, Saul said unto his servants, provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. Then answer one of his servants. I, I mean, out the blue, David is back here feeding sheep. And, and one of his servants answered, you know, and said, behold, I've seen the son, a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning and plain and a mighty valiant man, a man of war, prudent in matters, a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, send me David your son, which is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey and, and laid in it with bread and a bottle of wine and a kid and sent them, uh, sent them by David his son unto Saul. And David came to Saul and stood before him. And he loved him greatly. And he became his armor bearer. You're talking about God creating, I mean, creating a circumstance. See, sometimes, see, the problems are opportunities in disguise. See, this problem is created. And the skill of David puts him into the forefront. That's why the Bible says your gift makes room for you and brings you into the presence of great men. That's why you need to learn how to cultivate your gifts and your talents. Because, because of the fact that he was known for some reason, I don't know what he was doing. Maybe he was sitting on the, on, on the side of the corner playing or something. I don't know what he was doing. But somehow people walked by and they was like, man, you know, this guy can play. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, and, and when they saw that, they was like, man, I know a guy. You know, he, not only can he play, but he got all these other qualities that's great about him. And he said, well, well, bring him to me. And as soon as he sees him, he, God gives him favor with Saul. And he falls in love with him and he makes him his armor bearer. Amazing. Now I put here, to begin the process of David, we see uh, that the Lord creates an opportunity for David to be brought into the kingdom. Saul is being tormented by an evil spirit. And the only thing that can bring him comfort is the anointing play, play, anointed playing of a musician. David just so happens to have those skills. God has caused us all to be gifted in a given area. And it's our responsibility to become proficient in that gifting. The Bible says again that a man's gift makes room for him and brings him in the presence of great men. And I put here, your gift will make room for you. When God wants to promote you, he will usually do it by a problem that needs to be solved. Most people don't want problems but you can never be a problem solver if there's not a problem that needs to be solved. Now again, look at Joseph. Look at Daniel. They both were in position to solve major problems and because they did, they were greatly promoted. Always remember this. 
you will only be remembered for two things in life. The problems that you solve and the ones that you create. That's it. Now, I choose to be a problem solver. How about you? Now, David had these giftings, right? He was, one, he was a cunning and plain, or he was skillful at his craft. Two, he was a mighty, valiant man, means he was brave and he was courageous. He was a man of war. In other words, he knew how to engage in the art of warfare, and not just the natural, also in the spirit. And that's what made David very valuable. Number four, he was prudent in matters, meaning that he had an understanding and wisdom of how to conduct himself and how to handle business. He was a comely person, which means he was handsome and he was favored. And then finally, the Bible says that the Lord was with him. These were all of the qualities that began to be listed about David. So David becomes Saul's armor bearer. Now, the armor bearer is, one, is the one that bears the king's armor when he goes out into battle. This person becomes very close and intimate with the person that they're serving. They're in a position to learn the most from this individual because they, you know, they're with them more than anybody else. But you might be thinking, what could David possibly learn from a backsliding king who got rejected? <laughs> well, he was there to learn what not to do as king. And trust me, it's as important to know what not to do as it is to learn what to do. It's great to serve, when to serve someone that can teach you what you should be doing, but learning what not to do is just as valuable. Now, in 1 Samuel 16, 21 to 23, it says, And David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took a harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. <laughs> I put now David's gifting, placed him in position to have favor with the king of Israel. Saul had a problem that only David can solve, and that automatically gave him favor with him. That's why your gifting and talent is so important. But always remember that your gift can take you places. But if you don't have good character, you will not be there for long. Your gift opens doors, but your character will keep you on the inside. I'll close here. Never forget this, and I'll close right here. Reputation is who you are in the public's eye. Character is who you really are on the inside. And you can't hide your character. It can only be camouflaged. But the real you will eventually come to surface. And see, that's where that's we see the difference, right? Saul had, you know, a good reputation. He was a good guy, good, handsome, had money, stuff like that. But you, he couldn't hide who he really was for long. Because the rebellion came out. The stubbornness came out. You know, who he, who he was began to come out to the forefront. And that's why God says, see, I'm looking on the inside. I'm not looking at the outside. But who? But David had a right heart. Now, he did some things wrong, but his heart was right on the inside he was right 
And, um, and that's why we're going to start seeing him be promoted. We're going to close right here. It's 906. Did good. But we're going to close right here. But I just want you to um, kind of take some of these ideas as we get ready to, you know, continue with this. So now David is going through a process. But, now, but, this, but his gift opens up the door for him to be put into the forefront and for him to start learning about the kingdom. Because he knows nothing about the king. He's a, he's, he's a keeper of sheep. He don't know about the kingdom. But now he's in the kingdom and he has a chief position. He is the king's armor bearer. It's like, it's like being the chief of staff. You know what I'm saying? He's right next to the king. And he gets to learn a lot about operating in the kingdom. And this is the process that we, start, that we see him starting to go through. All right, so we're going to close right here. Just lift your hands to Jesus. Let's close. We'll pick up on this next week. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord God, for your word. Thank you for speaking to us tonight. Lord, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you will burn this word on the inside of us. Grant us the grace to remember that our gift, the gift that you've given to us, that special talent that you've given to us, it'll make room for us. It'll bring us into the presence of great men. It will open up doors for us. But let us never forget that we have to also have good character. What's on the inside of us has to be right if we're going to remain. We, we saw that Saul had the goods, the gifting to get to the kingdom. But his heart was not right before you. His character was wrong. And because of that, he was demoted and brought down. But we see now David being brought to the forefront. And we know that he was considered a man that was after your own heart because his insides were right. So grant us the grace to develop a good character, get our insides right, so that we may be able to continue to remain in that place of promotion that you bring us to. And Father, for it, we just thank you and we bless you. We give you all the praise, the glory. We give you honor in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's just give Jesus a praise. We'll close right here. Amen, amen, amen. All right.